Abortion bans are going into effect across the country, but how the laws are enforced will depend a lot on local prosecutors. Here's Jose Garza. He's the district attorney in Austin, Texas. We here in Travis County will not be prosecuting women who seek abortions or medical professionals who provide abortions. We're headed to Texas and Louisiana to check in on abortion access and the role of district attorneys. What does it mean for a district attorney to choose not to prosecute? And what does all this legal back and forth mean for doctors just trying to provide adequate care? We get into all of that and more after the break. This conversation is part of our 1A Remaking America collaboration with six public radio stations around the country looking at the issues dividing Americans. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast where we get to the heart of the story. To join us for future conversations, download the 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a message. Let's start in Louisiana. Abortion restrictions are affecting OBGYNs across the state, even if they don't routinely provide elective abortions. Joining us from New Orleans is Rosemary Westwood. She covers reproductive health for WWNO and WRKF Public Radio. She also produced Band, that's a podcast about the Mississippi case that brought down Roe. And joining us from Texas is Elizabeth Sepper. She's a law professor at the University of Texas at Austin. Thanks to you both for joining us. Rosemary, what abortion laws are in effect right now in Louisiana? So right now, the the laws are what they were before the Dobbs decision, which is that there is a 20-week ban on abortion in the state, and there are multiple... um, you know, complications that laws require in terms of how you get access to abortions. There's a 72-hour delay, for example. But the main uh, abortion ban, the trigger ban that the state was hoping would be in, in effect by now, state politicians were hoping would be in effect by now, has not taken effect or, or has and then wasn't and then was and then wasn't again. So right now, there's one abortion clinic providing care in the entire state. It's in Shreveport in the north. Um, The entire south of the state is without abortion access because those clinics there are waiting for this legal battle. There was a lawsuit filed against our our abortion ban here. It's ping-ponged through the courts, and right now we're waiting for a judge to decide whether to issue a a preliminary injunction against the law, which would allow abortion access for the foreseeable future. And we don't know when that could come. It could come any day, and if the judge does not do that, abortions will be, almost all abortions will be banned in Louisiana. So, Rosemary, what is this legal back and forth meant for abortion access in the state? It's been really destabilizing. So the, there are two, two clinics, one in New Orleans and Baton Rouge in the south of the state. And they were, when the, when the law was first um, prevented from taking effect by a temporary restraining order after the Dobbs decision, those clinics tried to provide care again. But that uh, temporary restraining order lapsed. And then, and you know, when the new one came in, they just weren't ready to to get back up and provide more care. There's also only one doctor in the state working at both of those clinics. So that access was already quite limited. Um, however, the clinic that filed this suit, Hope Medical Group for Women in Shreveport, has been able to, you know, bring back care swiftly. And I was there, you know, one day when they were calling patients saying, can you come in tomorrow? Like, no you know, no um, foresight about what might happen days down the road. Like, we have an appointment tomorrow. Can you come in? And that's how they were trying to schedule people. And this is a clinic that has, like, hundreds and hundreds of people on a wait list. So, you know, they're continuing to provide care as much as they can, but it's it's really ad hoc. And 
um, sort of unstable in terms of access for women. Well, Louisiana's Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry sent a letter to the Louisiana State Medical Society, which stated, quote, the temporary restraining order does not and cannot immunize medical providers from liability from criminal conduct. Any medical provider who would perform or has performed an elective abortion after the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs is jeopardizing his or her liberty and medical license. Uh, Elizabeth, and we should mention here, we invited the Attorney General to join this conversation. He did not respond, but the offer stands. Elizabeth, how can someone be prosecuted for something that happens while the law is technically not in effect? This is a um, argument that's sort of at the fringe of the conservative legal movement, though it does have some support. So the idea is if a court enjoins a law, even with a preliminary injunction or what we say in the law strikes down a law is unconstitutional, the law remains on the books. And so if a court uh, uh, reverses on appeal, um, a lower court, or if a state constitutional court ultimately changes their mind, um, then the law is on the books. And anyone who performed what they thought were legal acts in the interim can be prosecuted. I want to hear from New Orleans, Dr. Rebecca uh, Gee, who doesn't routinely perform elective abortions, but says the restrictions are affecting her work. And because of a court order, as we said, abortion is once again legal in Louisiana. So I asked Dr. Gee how doctors and patients are dealing with the back and forth. Well, Ted, we've already been through a period when it was not. And during that time, colleagues of mine who have been on call have already dealt with life-threatening situations that women face. You know, pregnancy is complicated. Things happen in pregnancy, like progressing infections, progressing hemorrhage that can lead to life-threatening loss of organs, loss of life. And we're accustomed as OBs to using our medical judgment to intervene when we think it's appropriate. In the case uh, that my colleague experienced, a woman was hemorrhaging and it took her uh, to lose a liter of blood and uh, several uh, talks with different lawyers for the team to feel comfortable to then intervene. And she had to go through, instead of having her uterus evacuated safely and be able to move on and, and limit the loss of blood, she actually had to deliver uh, what was then not going to be a viable baby. So this is already happening. It's impacting a lot of different decisions in healthcare, even the fear of it coming back is put a chilling impact on decisions that we would normally make as doctors. Well, in district court this week in Baton Rouge, an attorney for the state said doctors should use their own medical judgment when making these calls. What assurances or guidance do you need from the state to make those decisions? So I was formerly Secretary of Health and participated in a lot of efforts where we tried to say, well, in this case, we would do this, and in this case, that we would do that. Well, the problem is that healthcare is so complicated. The human body is so complicated. Pregnancy is so complicated. There will always be what we call in medicine the zebra, not the horse, right? So you think something's going to be this way. It might turn into a zebra. Um, we won't be able to intervene as we're used to doing, and we can anticipate every single case. And so my concern is that the way this is written and how draconian the penalties are, I mean, I'm a parent of five children. I have nine-year-old girls. You know, am I going to, what if I make the wrong decision? I'm going to go to jail, right? So I don't know what would make me feel comfortable um, in, with these kind of draconian rules other than something that said, look, if the doctor can say that in his or her medical judgment this was needed, then we will support that. Dr. Gay, how, how has this changed the conversations you have with your patients? Well, I was in clinic yesterday and, you know, certainly saying to them, look, you, you have to know 
You used to have a choice and now you don't. So let's get serious. Are you ready to be pregnant? Um, and if you're not, you know, we have to think about, as we always have, but even more urgency around where, you know, let's make sure we have birth control. Let's make sure that we have a plan. Now, I just want to be clear, Dr. Gee, you said when you're talking to patients now, you tell them you had a choice, you don't have one now. Abortion in Louisiana is legal at this moment as yeah, we're speaking. Today. But what yeah. I'm hearing from you is that you're anticipating that changing again. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the law. The ramifications uh, and consequences for women are extreme. I mean, the, the number of women who will die will not be insignificant because, you know, think about being at a rural hospital and you have a woman who's hemorrhaging and you're scared and you're the only doctor on call and the anesthesiologist won't help you because they don't want to go to jail. You know, so I, I don't know. Look, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a doctor. Um, but politicians have written these laws, uh, folks that don't have this medical knowledge. And I just, you know, the way that I see it, I, I mean, of course, I think everything should be done to make sure that they're reasonable, um, that they are applicable to the practice of medicine, which is, I view it as they're written now, it really is hard, as we talked about earlier, to say, because to, they don't, the way they're written doesn't really relate to how we make medical decisions. So being clear about that. Um, but, you know, I think, I think we have to plan for the worst. Dr. Gee, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Rebecca Gee. She's an OBGYN in New Orleans. She's also the former secretary of the Louisiana Department of Health. Louisiana's Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry has been defending the state's abortion restrictions. You know, my mother always told me that a society that places themselves before their children will not last. And I think that The state of Louisiana, through its people, through the legislature and their own actions, has spoken again and again and again, both constitutionally and statutorily, in anticipation that Roe would be overturned, so that the state of Louisiana would respect its children before themselves. We certainly intend to continue to defend the laws of the state and to enforce those laws. That was A.G. Landry speaking to reporters earlier this month. Rosemary, earlier in the conversation, we heard from Dr. Rebecca Gee in New Orleans. And Dr. Gee told us about a colleague who had a pregnant patient who was hemorrhaging and needed an abortion quickly. But the doctors had to bring lawyers into the decision for fear of breaking the law. What lawyers are going to be making medical decisions alongside doctors in emergency situations? Is that clear? Uh, Well, from the sources I'm talking to in hospitals here in Louisiana, there's the um, risk management department in hospitals that kind of lead the way on this. This is the group that's been organizing town halls, like Zoom meetings for physicians to join and ask questions from management about these laws and what it means about, you know, how their jobs are changing and the risks that they're going to be taking on. So, you know, for some hospitals, the the message has been, you know, here's a lawyer's number. You can call this person if you're worried. They can give you, you know, the best advice that they have for you, and then you can make your own decision. But I think what's really important about the story that Guy told, and this was part of um, a story that has been submitted actually as an affidavit in the lawsuit to describe sort of the impact of these abortion bans, is that, you know, that was someone who was facing a, a woman who was water had broken at 16 weeks of pregnancy, and that doctor felt uncomfortable perform, performing an abortion procedure she would have otherwise done. So when she called the lawyer, it was the lawyer who told her not 
to do it. That's what she said in the affidavit. Not that the lawyer gave her advice and she could make her own decision as a physician. It was that the lawyer made the decision. So I think that's, you know, a really important point. You know, you go to a hospital because you want the medical provider's best judgment, not a lawyer's. Elizabeth, doctors can face litigation for all kinds of reasons, like malpractice. What legal protections are doctors traditionally afforded? Medical malpractice standards really protect doctors. Um, The standard of care is determined by the custom in the medical profession, and so it's really favorable to physicians. They're used to having lots of leeway uh, to act, even though they're fairly concerned about med mal. Um, Here we're talking about crimes, and we're talking about crimes with really severe sanctions. Um, In Texas, up to life imprisonment uh, for performing an abortion in violation of our trigger ban. Um, so, so standards that they're not used to dealing with um, apply here. So the malpractice protections that are in place or the medical protections that are in place for doctors don't apply in these cases? That's right, right? It's a criminal law, so um, the, the interpretation is not left to the judgment of the medical profession. Now, the statutes vary. Some of it allows some good faith, um, some reasonableness, uh, but they're really high standards, so they involve things like you have to perform an abortion to save the life or to avoid substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function really narrow and not really how doctors approach caring for patients' health in emergency situations. Rosemary, what further guidance are doctors asking the state for so they know how to provide care according to the law? Well, there is guidance written into the law, actually. The law states that the Louisiana Department of Health needs to create a list of medically futile pregnancies, is the phrase used in the law, that, um, you know, specific diagnoses and and cases that a doctor can then perform an abortion. Um, I want to make it clear, though, that the biggest uh, hospital system in Louisiana doesn't do most medically futile uh, pregnancy abortions as it stands. You know, those are people who when getting a diagnosis that their fetus is sick and and may not survive, would be going to abortion clinics in the past Mm -hmm. in Louisiana. The Louisiana State Medical Board of Examiners and the Louisiana State Medical Society is also talking with the AG's office. We're told to put together some guidance around this exception for the health of the mother that we've been talking so much about. Um, And I think, you know, doctors are are looking forward to that. But it doesn't cover everything. And specifically, it doesn't cover things like, you know, I was talking to an oncologist, what if someone has a cancer diagnosis, and they need an abortion to start chemotherapy, you know, and their life isn't an immediate risk? Does that person get an abortion? So, you know, there's a lot of cases that aren't about the, you know, immediate risk of life, the mother's life, but are about her her long term well being, or even her short term, long term well being. So as you said at the top of the program, the the quote from Dr. Gee, how, you know, how close to dead do you have to be? How risky does this pregnancy have to be for you? And, And the fear that I'm hearing from doctors is that, you know, many won't even want to go down that road unless it's absolutely necessary and that women's health will suffer. You mentioned, Rosemary, that there were, I believe, two abortion clinics operating in Louisiana prior to the Dobbs decision. What's happened to those clinics and their staff? Right. Sorry. Yeah. So three in total, um, two were operating um, before that are are at the moment not. Um, And that's sort of a case of staff on standby, as I understand it. You know, the one doctor that's been providing abortions at those two clinics, you know, can start again, but the clinics themselves don't feel able to, 
you know, have the TRO in effect one day and not the next day. And that instability for staffing is more than they can take on. So my understanding is if we do get a preliminary injunction against the law from the judge, those two clinics can reopen. They're, they're able to and they expect to. Um, and if not, you know, that really spells the end of abortion care in Louisiana. It's, it's difficult to imagine a judge not extending a preliminary injunction and then granting one after the trial and these, these clinics being able to reopen again. You know, perhaps the, the clinic in Shreveport will be able to do that, but I, I don't know that the two other clinics in the state will. And, and to that broader question of the outcomes for, for health services for women in Louisiana, what are you watching for there? Well, we have one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the country. And I think an important point to make about that is, you know, maternal mortality is death is obviously the worst case scenario for someone who's pregnant. But there are many, many, many other health complications that can arise and that can, you know, change someone's life if it doesn't end it. And so that's what I'm really um, going to be watching for is, is how, how, what does happen to the cancer patient that has to carry a pregnancy or the, some, the person who had a kidney transplant or the person with high blood pressure? Um, you know, what is going to change in, term of maternal, in terms of maternal outcomes for patients? You know, and, and I think, you know, I've been told by doctors they expect that patients will die under this law, that there will be cases where doctors feel unable to act, and then when it's when they do think they can act, it's, it's too late, basically. Or, or, you know, that person goes home and, and, and something worse happens to them. So, you know, that's one of the, the things that I'm looking for. If doctors are telling me they think we're going to see patients die, then, then you know, I think at this point, I think that's what we're waiting to see. And it's, I, I think for the doctors I'm talking to, that's just like a, a terrifying, you know, that's the word I've been, that's been used to me many times, that they're terrified, they're afraid, and this is their greatest fear, in addition to losing their own freedom, you know, being jailed for up to 15 years, which is what the penalties are in this law. They're afraid that patients will die. That's Rosemary Westwood. She's a reproductive health reporter for WWNO and WRKF Public Radio in Louisiana. Rosemary, thank you for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. We're talking about the current legal landscape around abortion. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Let's turn now to Texas, where two laws severely restricted abortion access for months before Roe was overturned. UT Austin law professor Elizabeth Sepper is still with us. Now let's bring another voice into the conversation, Eleanor Klibanoff. She covers women's health for the Texas Tribune. Eleanor, welcome. Thanks for having me. Eleanor, what does abortion access look like in Texas right now? Uh, right now, there is um, essentially no abortion access in Texas um, at abortion clinics. Um, you know, the law that is currently in effect, um, you know, does allow for abortion, you know, in cases to save the life of the pregnant patient. But as you all were just discussing, you know, that even that is sort of um, a, a big question mark right now. But the clinics have stopped providing abortions. Um, there are some ongoing legal challenges, but um, the, currently, you know, you cannot get an abortion at a clinic in Texas. SB 8 uh, is the law that allows citizens to sue anyone who helps someone get an abortion. That's been in effect since last fall. How is it being enforced? So SB 8, uh, which bans abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy, um, you know, effectively stopped all abortions after that point. And so um, for 
you know, nine or 10 months now, Texans have only been able to get abortions up to about six weeks, um, which is, you know, a point at which many people don't even know that they're pregnant yet. Um, And that, you know, was sort of catastrophic for abortion clinics and for people seeking abortions. Um, You know, it sent, uh, you know, thousands of people out of state. Um, And now even that small window of care has been sort of slammed shut and we are um, at virtually no abortion access. Um, There have not really been any... uh, there's been very few lawsuits brought under that SB8, um, sort of to the su- surprise of a lot of people involved. Um, you know, initially, right after the law went into effect, you know, one doctor sort of publicly challenged the law and was sued, um, I believe, three times. But since then, you know, clinics did not provide abortions after six weeks, and so no lawsuits were filed. Well, Elizabeth, there were a lot of questions about how SB8 would work in reality. And now that the law's been in effect for several months, what stood out to you in how that law is actually being applied or not? Yeah, its goal was to be an abortion ban that didn't look like an abortion ban um, in some ways because it didn't involve the state. Um, and, And that's how it's worked out. Um, we do have ongoing litigation that uh, has found a number of aspects of the law unconstitutional under the Texas Constitution as violating due process protections. That's on a, currently on appeal, so we'll see uh, where that will go. I should add, too, that SB8 extends not just to abortion providers, but to anyone who aids and abets anyone to secure abortion. And I suspect that will have more force um, as abortion becomes Becomes totally banned because we do know that even under SB 8, that people who wanted to end their pregnancies during an early period in Texas, they secured, uh, many of them secured medication abortion, um, either uh, on the gray market or through telehealth. Um, and I suspect that we will see Texas um, officials try to apply the abortion ban in ways that limit um, that uh, particular practice. Eleanor, what penalties do do medical professionals or anyone involved in an abortion face under SBA? Um, Well, under SBA, you can be sued by anyone um, for, you know, up to $10,000, you know, as many times as there are people who will bring lawsuits against you. Um, There, you know, initially were some questions about whether um, the law could also, you know, a doctor could face uh, medical licensure um, issues and things like that. But um, as that case has wound through uh, the Supreme Court and um, the Texas Supreme Court, um, it's become clear that the, the primary concern is these lawsuits um, that could really pile up, you know, $10,000 at a time. While there may be laws on the books, how they're enforced is often up to local district attorneys. Five DAs in Texas signed a joint statement saying they will not prosecute abortion crimes. Democrat Joe Gonzalez is the district attorney for Bear County, which includes San Antonio. He's one of more than 90 prosecutors across the nation who've made that pledge, and he joins us now. DA Gonzalez, welcome to 1A. Uh, thank you for having me. Good morning to you. You've said you'll refrain from prosecuting anyone who seeks, provides, or supports an abortion. Why did you pledge publicly not to prosecute? Well, you know, the, the, the decision to have an abortion is, is a very personal decision. It's a, it's a difficult decision every woman uh, must get to. And, and I don't believe that the government has any business interfering with that decision. You know, when I was elected into office, I, I swore an oath uh, to seek justice. Um, and while I have an obligation to defend the laws of the state of Texas, I believe I also have a, an obligation to, to seek justice. And I don't see the justice 
in prosecuting anyone that makes this decision. I also don't see the justice in, in pursuing criminal charges against medical care providers who assist women in, in seeking abortions. There haven't been any abortion-related cases filed in your county yet. If law enforcement files a case, do you still have an ethical obligation to review it? What does that process look like? Well, I do. Uh, I, I am ethically obligated to, uh, as if, as any other criminal case, to review uh, what is filed with us. We are not an initiating investigative agency, so we have to rely on law enforcement to file cases with us. And so we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll satisfy that obligation, review those cases. But again, I believe that I am vested with the uh, discretion to make decisions about whether or not to go forward. And, and so I have made assurances to the women in Bear County and those medical providers that assist them that I'm, I, again, don't see the justice in pro, uh, prosecuting abortion cases, uh, but I will, I will certainly review any case uh, that comes to our office. I, I have talked about uh, uh, perhaps extenuating circumstances that uh, may be appropriate to, uh, uh, to seek prosecution. Such but, as? But, well, for example, if, if, if we're talking about a, a young lady who was forced to undergo uh, an abortion she didn't want to do, um, I certainly think abortion should be consensual, right? I think uh, we should respect a woman's uh, um, desire to do that. But if she's forced to have an abortion, I mean, that's a whole different matter. So that's that's kind of the, the circumstance that I can envision uh, prosecuting, for example, her parents or, you know, medical provider. Now, Texas conservatives already have a plan to get around district attorneys like you who plan not to prosecute abortion cases. Here's Republican State Representative Briscoe Kane talking about it to a local Dallas TV station late last month. My plan and, and from conversations with other legislators is to uh, continue to, one, ensure that these laws are prosecuted. So, of course, it's up to local DAs whether they prosecute these crimes. And we've been in discussions with ideas of whether we allow, you know, neighboring DAs to prosecute these crimes if that DA says they're not going to. That was Republican State Representative Briscoe Kane talking about a plan allowing district attorneys to prosecute people living outside their county. Dia Gonzalez, what's your reaction to that? I've heard that before. Uh, I, I think it's, it's going to be a long um, fight uh, that, that, that will face some constitutional challenge because, as I say, uh, local prosecutors are the only um, uh, people vested with with the discretion to uh, a- empower to prosecute crimes that occur within their county. So we'll see we'll see uh, how far that, that that goes. But you know we'll we'll deal with it when it happens. Uh, but yes, I've I've been made aware of that. Well, Texas Attorney General Paxton, also a Republican, supports strict abortion restrictions and recently sued the Biden administration for requiring abortion access in medical emergencies. How concerned are you, District Attorney Gonzalez, that the state will come after you for not following Texas law and prosecuting abortion-related cases? Well, obviously, that's, uh, that's a possibility, and, and so I'm well aware of that. But, but again, what I'm saying is I understand my, my ethical and legal obligation, uh, and, and I think I meet that when uh, we review those cases, and, but then that's when my power to, to exercise discretion kicks in. So uh, when that happens, when they file the case and, and, and I make that decision, we'll see where it goes from there. But I certainly am aware uh, of, of, of those uh, comments that have been made about uh, potential um, repercussions for, for myself and the other four DAs that, that uh, uh, have spoken out against uh, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision. 
So again, we'll, uh, I'm comfortable that, that uh, again, that I satisfy my obligation ethically and legally by saying that I'm, I'm going to review it, these cases on a case-by-case basis and then exercise my discretion. That's Bear County District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. He pledged not to plan to prosecute anyone for seeking, providing, or supporting an abortion in Texas. DA Gonzalez, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We also invited Attorney General Ken Paxton to join our conversation today. He did not respond, but the invitation stands. Eleanor, just explain the political fallout of DAs like DA Gonzalez making this decision to not pursue these cases. Right. I mean, I think the main thing we've seen and that we expect to see is, you know, a pretty significant effort from Republican lawmakers to find a way to allow other DAs to prosecute these cases. Um, You know, I think uh, taking this stand is obviously, you know, drawn a lot of attention to the to the discretion and the power that DAs have. um, And we expect legislation in the upcoming session and starting in January to find sort of a loophole to allow other district attorneys to bring these charges. And for what it's worth, you know, and District Attorney Gonzalez mentioned this, that, um, you know, the trigger ban also comes with a $100,000 civil penalty. So this does not, uh, you know, remove the penalties from uh, abortion providers or anyone who sort of provides an abortion even outside of a clinic setting. It just removes the criminal penalties in those specific jurisdictions. Well, we're getting some questions. Will emailed from Maryland. When the Supreme Court rules that gay people have a constitutional right to same-sex marriage, there are several local officials who refuse to sign marriage licenses. How is the refusal of a local DA refusing to enforce a state law against abortion different? Uh, Elizabeth, I'll, I'll come to you on that. Um So those decisions were about access overall, right, and the Constitution. So local officials are sworn to uphold the Constitution. Um, As the Supreme Court has instructed, the Constitution is now neutral as to abortion. Excuse me. Neither pro nor um, anti. So it's quite different. Prosecutors have lots of discretion. We can think about minor drug charges. In many jurisdictions, um, prosecutors have determined that their resources will be devoted to major crimes rather than minor drug possession. Um, So it's well within the realm of discretion because not all crimes, as we know, can be prosecuted. So it's about the discretion any given office has? Yes. So different jurisdictions will prioritize different crimes, perhaps because they think those are the crimes that the constituency cares about the most, perhaps because they're easiest to police, um, perhaps because they want to ensure um, less policing of certain areas or certain um, populations. And I just want to be be clear that we're answering Will's question. And so then that's different from, say, a clerk refusing to sign a marriage license because... Because it's a state service that otherwise the person cannot access. Um, So there's not a discretion there. If the Constitution requires access on equal terms, whether those equal terms are related to race or sexual orientation or disability, the Constitution must be complied with. It's supreme. So as we wrap up here, Elizabeth, as this continues to play out, what outstanding legal questions still need to be grappled with? So many, an overwhelming number. Um, There are thousands of lawyers around the country volunteering, working on this overtime. There are questions about 
the trigger bans that have yet to come into effect and whether they are unconstitutionally vague, they're likely to be challenged. There's the ongoing questions about emergencies and the degree to which physicians can act in those scenarios. There are questions about the conflict between federal and state law um, and, and conflicts that will go forward with FDA, HIPAA, major federal statutes. How do they apply in this area now that abortion is banned in so many states? Well, that's Elizabeth Sepper. She's a professor of religious liberty and health law at the University of Texas at Austin School of Law. Also with us was the Texas Tribune's women's health reporter, Eleanor Klibanoff. Elizabeth, Eleanor, thanks for speaking with us. This conversation was part of our 1A Remaking America collaboration with six public radio stations around the country. Over the next two years, we're exploring the issues dividing American communities. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producers were Mia Estrada and June Leffler. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.